0: what is good everybody i hope you have had a great week we are hopping straight into this we are continuing uh for part two of the woman at the well you know last episode we left off in part one of the woman at the well discussing the important themes that are at play and we have the theme of expecting conflict between the samaritans and the jews we also oddly have the theme of a man meeting his future bride at a well. And both of these themes rightfully should make us curious about what is about to happen when Jesus is going to Samaria and we hear that he rests by a well. Now, we saw that he met a woman there, a Samaritan woman, and conversation ensued. And Jesus was offering this woman something that she clearly desired, which was a source of life giving water. would never run dry. However, as we discovered, the woman assumed that this offer was a literal offer of water, when in reality, Jesus was speaking symbolically, calling back to Ezekiel's vision of flowing waters from God's temple that brings life and healing to everything it touches. And this, in fact, is the life-giving water that Jesus is offering. And this is the life-giving water that only jesus can give and today we're going to continue on in this interaction between jesus and the samaritan woman this is going to be part two of the woman at the well we might end up having four maybe even five parts there is a lot of things to cover a lot of very interesting things that pop up and i, I want to do this justice and so we're going to take our time going through this this episode this part will probably be a little bit shorter than usual uh, because where we end up ending at this part of the episode, it bumps up to another section that I don't want to hop into because we're not going to have time in one episode to fully flesh it out and do it justice. So we'll hop into that in part three, but let's just hop straight into this. We're going to be reading uh, in John chapter four, starting in verse 16, all the way down. verse 19. So let's get this. Like we always do, we're going to read through it and then we'll break it down verse by verse. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Alright, so let's break this down. Starting off here with the reply that Jesus gives in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, remember, the woman's response to Jesus' earlier statement about life-giving water. When she hears of this, she says, uh, <laughs> Hey, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and so I won't have to come back here to draw water every day. Now, The very next thing that Jesus says to her is what we just read in verse 16. His response is is so straightforward (laughs) and it seems to just make no sense, uh, at least in how we would expect conversation to go. And I absolutely love it. Jesus's response to her saying, "Uh, hey, can I get some of this water? Jesus says, go call your husband and then come back. No, you know, a, a fine and logical thing to ask in this culture, surely. You know, most women at this time would have been married, and therefore Jesus telling her to go get her husband and come back would, would be a normal thing to say. However, Jesus is asking her to do this for a different reason. We, we assume that Jesus just wants her to go talk to her husband, you know, see if he's okay with this and approves of it, and then come back with her response. But as we'll find out here in the next couple of verses, the reason why Jesus has her do this is much different. So in verse 17, the woman answers uh, Jesus and says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, "Ah, Yeah, you're right in saying that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. So. I mean, it's pretty obvious here. Jesus calls her out. And the implication that I believe we're supposed to get from what Jesus says here is that she's not living up to par. It's hard to say exactly why she's gone through so many husbands, uh, but it's clear that things have gone poorly, right? You could assume that these five husbands were lost and gained, uh, maybe because they died. Maybe she just had really, really unfortunate circumstances. Where she has had her five husbands back to back to back to back just die. And so she's ended up getting remarried. That's possible. Uh, Most likely though, it was due to divorce. I I don't know of many women or men who have had five spouses because every single one of them has died uh, in succession. So it's definitely most likely that these five husbands have been a result of divorce. Uh, with a potential for sexual sin that plays a part in that divorce and at the very least what we can say is that her current quote-unquote husband that she is with is actually not her husband under lawful marriage she she gives him that title you know she's acting and living in such a way as if that man is her husband but lawfully in the eyes of god there's not been a covenant made so they're partaking in acts that are only supposed to be part, partook of within marriage, and so however you you want to frame this, it's clear that she is in guilt. her current situation is not one that she should be a part of and living in now what's so cool about what's happening here is that there's a depth to what Jesus has said. not only does he call out the literal history of the woman and her her current situation with all of her husbands but Jesus at the same time is is using wordplay to call out the symbolic and the theological sins of the woman and ultimately the people that she represents which is the Samaritan people now for this we need to have an understanding of of the history of the Samaritan people their sins how they how they have uh, uh, maintain their selves and how they have lived in accordance to the laws that God gave his people. Now in Hosea, in his writings, the Samaritan people are called out explicitly and they're condemned for their worship of false gods, their adultery, their, their rejecting Yahweh and the commands to have no other god. And they are chasing after and worshiping false gods. And one of those false gods that gets named explicitly, and that was a fairly common uh, a, a god to worship in the ancient times, goes by the name of Baal. You you may have heard it as Baal, B A A L. It's pronounced Baal. And so I want to read out a few passages in Hosea that explicitly call out the guilt, the sin, and the idolatry of the Samaritan people, so we can get this understanding of. This, the history that the Samaritan people have of worshiping other gods other than Yahweh. So the first one that we'll see and we'll look at here is in Hosea chapter 13 verse 16. It says this, Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. The next one in Hosea chapter 10 verse 5 through 7 says, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of beth Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. Once again here, another declaration of the sin of the Samaritan people and how they're worshiping false gods. Then the last one we'll look at is in Hosea 11, verses 1 through 2. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So Hosea paints this picture. Uh, The the whole chapter of Hosea really is this uh, this overall uh, overall theme of God's people worshiping idols and the view that this idol worship is adulterous in nature. And we can see how this idol worship actually gets depicted specifically as adultery in the beginning chapters of Hosea. This one is is eye-opening and we've been talking about this theme of God being married to his people how the people are God's bride and God being the the bridegroom and how Jesus is now being depicted as the groom who is coming to to save and to bring home his bride, which is God's people, which is the church. And remember, we talked about this theme of a a man meeting his future bride at a well. And here we have Jesus at a well meeting a woman who is a larger representative For the Samaritan people. So look at this. In Hosea chapter 2 verses 2 through 5. We get this this explicit depiction of Israel's idolatry. Seen as adultery against Yahweh God. So check this out. Plead with your mother. Plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked, and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. So so notice what Hosea 2 is doing here within the larger context of The whole book of Hosea is that God likens his covenant with his people as a marriage covenant. And since Israel and Samaria, being a part of that, specifically broke this covenant and worshiped other gods, God sees that as an act of adultery. They made these false gods their covenantal husbands and rejected Yahweh as their true husband in this covenant and thus they've committed adultery. Now, why does this matter? Well, remember that one of the gods that Samaria worshipped was named Baal, B-A-A-L. He's named specifically in Hosea, right? So, So let's just remember for this context that the false god's name is Baal. Now, when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus says, where's your husband? In English, the word is husband, in Greek the word's a little bit different. But when Jesus is actually speaking to her, he's speaking in the language known as Aramaic. And historically, we know that the language that Jesus and his disciples spoke was Aramaic. It was quite common at that time and in that area. However, the New Testament is written in Greek. So when we when we see Jesus speaking here in the New Testament, it is a Greek translation of what Jesus said in Aramaic. So when you look at the Greek word for husband, it differs from the word that Jesus would have actually said in Aramaic. Now, Jesus calls out the woman's husbands. And in Aramaic, he would have said, You are right in saying, I have no baals, for you have had five baals. Why? Why would he say baals here? Because the Aramaic word For husband is Baal. Baal. Just like the name of the false god Baal or Baal that the Samaritan people were called out for worshiping back in Hosea. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Bro, I told you the Bible is cool, man. I've been telling y'all this for so long. The Bible is so cool. Jesus is using wordplay. Since the Aramaic word for husband is Baal, he says, Where is your Baal? Go get your Baal. Go get your husband knowing full well that the Samaritan people have a very uh, uh, unfortunate and lackluster history of worshiping Baal, rejecting Yahweh as their husband, and accepting Baal as their husband. They quite literally have made Baal their Baal. They have made Baal their husband. Isn't that wild? The wordplay and and, and the the depth in which Jesus is not just speaking to the individual woman's circumstances, but he's speaking to the circumstances of the Samaritan people that the woman represents. Here's a quote from uh, Mary El Colo in the book that we've been going through. God dwells with us. and She says this, the woman is told to call her husband and Jesus commends the truth of her answer. I have no husband. Jesus' declaration that Samaria has no husband is a classic prophetic denunciation of of false worship. The true husband, Lord of Samaria, stands before her in the person of Jesus, the bridegroom. Jesus is quite literally saying, go call on your Baal, your false god, that you all have been wrongfully worshiping. And at the same time, he's saying, go get your husband. But surprise, the woman in Samaria, whom she represents, have no true husband. They have no true God because they rejected the one true God. Isn't that wild? Now look at this. In response to what Jesus said, this is what the woman answers in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This right here is the breakthrough for the Samaritan woman and her acknowledging that Jesus is a prophet is a monumental claim. And here's why. As we talked about last episode, the Samaritans differed from the Jews in their beliefs about tradition and what writings were holy. The Jews held that the writings from later prophets, uh, that they held that they were holy books. The ones that we see in the Old Testament, the Jews believe that these are holy books inspired by God. But the Samaritans, they reject all the writings as holy outside of the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So as far as the Samaritans are concerned, God had not sent another prophet since Moses. And they were expecting a prophet. Like Moses from what was written in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 where Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So up to this point, the Samaritans have rejected the prophets that God has sent after Moses. So the fact that the Samaritan woman accepts Jesus as a prophet is huge. She understands that that Jesus has to be sent from God. That Jesus has to be a prophet. He is telling her things about her life that otherwise he shouldn't be able to know. But he does know. And so since Jesus knows things about this woman that without the power of God he would have no way of knowing, she understands that this is not just some man. This is, this is a... a This is someone sent from God who has the power of God with him. And because of that, she is the catalyst with which the people that she'll go back to, her fellow Samaritan people, who she'll eventually call in and report this news. She's the catalyst that will will cause them to believe in Jesus. And with this, we're going to stop here in part two. Uh, The next section, we're going to have to cover uh, uh, with a lot of depth in part three. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will continue on next week.